In the beginning, we were created and designed to live and walk with God. But humanity traded the truth for a lie. We traded the glory and goodness of God for the world and our own ways. Separated from God, we were stuck in a pit of our own making. But Jesus broke through. Through his death on the cross and his resurrection, he rescued us from our sin, shame, and pain. Jesus shows us and teaches us how to live a new life, full life, a life that is upside down compared to what we are used to. His upside down, or rather, right side up ways are beautiful and perfect. He empowers us to live his mission, turning this upside down world right side up for his kingdom, his power, and his glory. Hello and welcome, I am Thomas. I'll be sharing with you from God's word this morning. It is great to be with you here on a Sunday morning in the West Auditorium, East Auditorium, everyone online, welcome. It's good to be with you. And we are wrapping up our three-month-long series on the best sermon ever today. Over the past three months, we have been learning about Jesus' greatest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew chapters five, six, and seven. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and look at Matthew's uh, five, six, and seven real quick. Um, in Bible college, I was in a class called The Life of Christ where we learned about the life of Jesus and they told us that we had to memorize the Sermon on the Mount word for word. And I mean, if you're looking at it, it's a lot. And if, for those of you who care, we had to memorize it in the New International Version, 1984, to be specific. And again, I was freaking out. And I should have known better because 10 years prior, my youth minister went to the same university and he took the same class. And you know what he did one night at youth group? He got up on a stage like this and he recited the Sermon on the Mount from memory. Now, he had some cue cards, he had a little bit of help, but still he had this internalized and he could speak it. And he had props, so as he taught through the lesson, he used props to help us remember the sermon. And he'd say things like, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, and you ah, and you do this like Luke Skywalker thing, and then he said, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, and you take a fake eyeball, and you, and you pop it into the front <laughs> row. Of the, I mean, I learned so much from the Word of God from my ridiculous youth minister who was willing to use props in his messages, and uh, <laughs> it was pretty cool. Now, but here I am, 10 years later, he went to that class, right, and then 10 years later, I'm in the same class, and the professor's like, by the way, you need to memorize this sermon. I mean, I saw my youth pastor do it, and I was like, good for him, he was a smart guy, but I don't know if I can do this. And again, I was freaking out, I was like, oh no. And uh, good news was, within those 10 years, they had heard the cries of my generation. 
And they, we had said, this is too hard. This is too hard. This is too hard. And they're like, fine, we'll make the test easier. And they, uh, they actually gave us little cue words and stuff. So we didn't have to memorize it in entirety. But we had, they gave us hints and fill in the blanks. And we you know, got an easier version of the test. It was like our teacher was like, all right, millennials, here's your participation trophy. Good luck, good try. Now, and by the way, those of you who are old enough to be my teachers, how dare you give me participation trophies? and make my tests easier. Look at what you've done. No, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. But y'all, like, all joking aside, even though this, they made the test easier, I learned so much truth by internalizing these lessons from Jesus. Now, I can't recite um, the Sermon on the Mount for you today because I had the light version of this, the memorization test, but I have summarized and internalized many lessons from the Sermon on the Mount over the years inspired by that class and also inspired by this series. This series has been really great. I've added to my list of things I've learned from the Sermon on the Mount as we've gone over this last three months. So here are, are some summaries of lessons that I have learned or maybe you've learned over the past three months as we have engaged the Sermon on the Mount. Here's the first one. You are blessed when the world hates you because there's more to this life than just 80 years on this planet. Be public with your faith all the time so people can see and taste the goodness of God. Hating people is as bad as murder because it's murder of the heart. Looking at someone sexually is adultery because it is adultery of the heart. When you say yes, follow through. Always keep your commitments before God and man. If you want an eye for an eye, if you want that kind of justice, we'll all be blind. I love that one. I actually got that paraphrase from one of my favorite bands. They're called Flatfoot 56. And that, that was one of their lyrics, an eye for an eye and we'll all be blind. Good stuff. It comes from the Sermon on the Mount. Prayer is never about showing off your eloquence or spirituality. God hates that. Be generous in secret. God loves that. Spend intimate time with God in secret. He loves that too. And this life is too short to be stingy with our charitable giving. Be generous with your money and your life. God provides. He is my heavenly father. He always gets me what I need. And since I'm a sinner, it's best to leave the judging of souls to God. Uh, three weeks ago, Pastor Rick Grace shared an amazing sermon on judge not lest you be judged and what is appropriate to judge and what is not appropriate to judge. So good. Lots of good sermons. You should go back, check them out, see these lessons. And don't expect good things from bad people. They will only disappoint you. If you look in the Sermon on the Mount, you'll find that. Be careful with what you share with people. And a lot of people think they know Jesus, but they don't. And they're gonna find out too late. So we've heard a lot of these lessons over the past few months from Matthew 6, 7, and 5, 5, 6, 7. And uh, while we may not have this sermon memorized, right, it is wise to summarize and internalize it so it becomes familiar and formative to us. And since we're on the last week of the Sermon on the Mount, let's take a look at the last passage, heading to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. So after sharing lots and lots of his famous teachings, Jesus ends his most sermon ever with a 
a parable. Now, a parable is a a made-up story intended to teach you something true, okay? Made-up story intended to teach you something true, and often you get to choose which character you are in this story. And Jesus ends with the parable of the wise and foolish builder. Hear this from the word of the Lord. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, if you're anything like me, you learned a really good paraphrase, summary of this song in uh, children's church, through a song, excuse me, and it went something like this. If you know it, right? The wise man built his house upon the rock. What? The wise man built his house upon the rock. Yeah. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rains came tumbling down. Yeah. The rains came down and the floods came. Whoop. A little different. The rains came down and the floods came. Whoop. Where are you? The rains came down and the floods came. Whoop. And the rock on the rock stood firm. Yo, here we go. Verse two, everyone. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand, and the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down, and the floods came. Whoop! The rains came down, and the floods came. Whoop! Last chance. The rains came down, and the floods went. Whoop! And the house on the sand went crash. Oh, well done, y'all. Throwback. Throwback. Now, If you didn't grow up in church, you're like, this is weird. This is bizarre. And honestly, it kind of is. Like, if I had never been in this situation before, I'd be a little freaked out. But listen, we did that for kids. It's good for kids. It's from the 90s. And I, uh, you know, I have to be honest, though, I didn't fully understand this song as a child. Like, I didn't know who the foolish man was. Who's the foolish man? Who's the wise man? Why are we talking about houses falling down in church? What does this all mean? And what is this rock we keep talking about? Well, I knew who the rock was because we learned it in a different song, and it went something like this. Jesus is the rock, and he rolls my blues away. Bop, shoo, bop, shoo, bop, woo! Jesus is the rock, and he rolls my blues away. Bop, shoo, bop, shoo, bop, woo! Jesus is the rock, and he rolls my blues away. Bop, shoo, bop, shoo, bop, woo! Thank you. Hyperventilating. Yes, Jesus is the rock. I know who Jesus is. So it seems like 90s kids, to keep them engaged in elementary school worship, they would rip off 50s and 60s rock and roll songs. And disclaimer, the first kids people have let me know they've updated the material since I've been in church. So your kids are learning some new stuff. But it reminds me of another song, another 50s, 60s rip off. And uh, this one's uh, inspired by the Beach Boys. It goes like this. Get a crown, get a crown, I get a crown. Get a crown, get a crown. 
I get a crown when the trumpet sounds. I'll get a crown. Ooh, another great little song. So that's a lesson about how when Jesus comes back, for those who remain faithful to him, he will give them a crown of glory and righteousness for being steadfast. Now, again, I have to confess as a kid, I didn't know how coloring crowns had anything to do with Jesus returning. True story. It wasn't until middle school that some pretentious friend was like, Thomas, those are not crowns, those are crayons. Because I have learned some redneck backwoods way to say crayon. I was saying crown my whole life. And I can't even blame my Irish immigrant parents with their fun accents because they taught me words all the time, but my mom didn't even use the word crown or crayon. She used the word, I'll do my best here, oil pastels. <laughs> Thomas, would you like to do a wee art project with the oil pastels? So I didn't know what a crown or a crown was. But anyway, all that to say, oh, actually, don't even get me started. So old hymns, <laughs> old hymns. Okay, uh, oh, uh, what was it? I could never understand why Jesus would wash away the leopard's spots, but the tiger was allowed to keep its stripes. I didn't understand that. Jesus cleansed the leopard's spots and washed them white as snow. Do you know that song? Why did leopards not get to keep their spots? I didn't, no one told me that we're talking about lepers. It was about a skin disease and purification. I thought it was about big cats. True story, I'm not making this up, it's not a bit. Like, but anyway. All that to say, when it came to knowing who the rock was, I knew because of a great song that taught me that Jesus is the rock and he rolls my blues away. But is Jesus actually the rock? In Matthew 7, 24, is, it, is Jesus the rock in this passage? Is my children's church understanding of this correct? And I would say it's kind of right, but not exactly. It's a little more nuanced. Verse 24 tells us that being built on the rock, being a wise person, is not just acknowledging Jesus, but it's hearing Jesus' teachings and doing them. This is what being built on the rock is. It is to summarize and internalize truth in Christ, choose to live it, then become wise. That's an important part of our talk today. Let's read one more time. Summarize and internalize truth in Christ. Choose to live it, then become wise. That's what it takes. That's what being built on the rock is. Hear, internalize, do Jesus' teachings. Or as the parable says, you can choose to be a fool. You can choose to refuse to agree with Jesus' teachings and be a fool. And we get to choose which character we're gonna be in the parable. So not only are there characters in this parable, the wise and foolish man, there's also houses. And the houses in this passage are actually a metaphor for someone's life. In the ancient world, your home wasn't just the place where you rested and Sabbath and hung out with your family and played. It was also the place of work. It was your whole entire life. It encompassed everything. And Jesus is showing us when the storms and troubles of this life come, as they will, the home or the life of the wise person will stand firm because their foundation is built on the teachings of Jesus. 
but storms will come. Jesus promised in John 16, 33, one of my favorite verses, in this world you will have trouble. This is why it's my favorite though. But take heart because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. It's a good word. But there's a lot of troubles that can come our way. Losing your job, facing a broken relationship, dealing with bullies at work, dealing with bullies at school, not making the team, taking care of your elderly parents, not having your family close by, being alone or anxious, depressed. There's a lot of storms in this life. There's a lot of troubles. And for some people, these troubles can lead to a life that collapses in on itself because it's built on shifting sand. But for others who have strong faith in Christ, they can face any storm. I don't know if you've ever sat at the bedside of a dying Christian versus the bedside of an unbeliever. Vastly different experiences because the Christian knows that neither height or death, life or death can separate them from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Will we choose to be wise or will we choose to be fools? The Greek word here for foolish in this passage is moros, where we get the English word for moron. And a moron isn't necessarily an evil person. A moron is just a stupid person. It's someone who's not very bright. It's a dummy, which reminds me once again of Children's Church. <laughs> we used to have this guy come in called King Dumb. Right? He was a king. And it wasn't actually a king, it was Mr. Bud Nation. He was one of my teachers, and he would come in as kingdom with a royal robe on and a big crown, I mean a big crown. <laughs> and he would come in and look stately, and with him would come his two henchmen, who were his dummies, right? So you have kingdom coming from his kingdom with his dummies, and guess what they used to do? They would take handfuls of dum-dum lollipops and throw them into the crowd of children. It was so much fun. You know, dum-dum lollipops, when you went to the bank, if you're, if you're good at the bank, your mom let you have one, and for some reason, if you're really good, the dentist would let you have one too, but at children's church, here comes kingdom in his royal robes coming from his kingdom with his dummies throwing out handfuls of dum-dum lollipops. It was amazing. It was the most fun place in the world. We also had like gorilla costumes and stuff. That the children's church was off the chain. It was awesome. But anyway, but um, how was this helpful? Well, here's how Kingdom <laughs> would help children learn truth from Scripture by giving terrible advice that even elementary kids knew was wrong. Okay, you give terrible advice that even elementary school kids would be like, that, that can't be right. So. Our children's pastor would get up often and interview King Dum for some advice. The pastor would say something like this. <clears throat> oh, King Dum. <clears throat> the other day, a kid called me a mean name at lunch. What should I do, King Dum? And he'd be like, call them a mean name back. And all the kids would be like, no, King Dum, that's wrong. You're so silly. No. The pastor would be like, that's right, kids. Treat others the way you want to be treated. The golden rule, which is literally found in the Sermon on the Mount. Or Kingdom would say, Pastor, I would like to get up and pray in front of everyone. And the pastor would be like, um, 
why do you want to pray in front of everyone, kingdom? I want to show off how spiritual and cool I am. <laughs> and then the pastor like, hey, kids, is being a show off a good reason to pray? And all the kids are like, no, kingdom, that's silly. You're wrong. And they throw out dum-dums, and it was great. <laughs> but again, don't show off when you pray. That's literally a lesson from the Sermon on the Mount. I keep bringing up children's church because the lessons Jesus has for us in the best sermon ever, they're not rocket science. Children can understand them. But simple and easy to understand does not mean that they are easy to do. Jesus says, treat people the way you want to be treated. That's not always easy to do. Don't hold anger on in your heart towards others. That's not always easy to do. Don't judge others. That's not always easy to do. These are simple concepts that are not always easy to accomplish. Actually, these lessons are impossible to accomplish without Jesus. They're impossible to do perfectly. They're more impossible than me trying to memorize the Sermon on the Mount word for word in my college course. Now, it would be beneficial if all of us just decided to memorize the Sermon on the Mount. You should do that. But what matters more is we hear its truth, summarize and internalize it so that we can do it and live it. Again, we need to summarize and internalize truth in Christ, choose to live it, then become wise. But Jesus knows this is impossible for us. So does he actually expect me to obey everything in the Sermon on the Mount? I mean, let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 again. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Sounds like we're called to do it. Everyone who hears these words and practices them, does them. Sounds like we're expected to do it. Also, earlier on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus says this, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of God's law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus doesn't make it easy on us. He actually makes it harder. He raises the bar. He raises the standard. But, you know, maybe this just means Jesus gives us grace because we know he knows we're going to fail at judging or lusting or sinning or whatever. So we don't actually have to do it. But I don't think that Jesus is giving us a free pass to sin just because these things are difficult or maybe even impossible for us. We don't get permission to sin, right? We don't keep sinning more so God gives us more grace. Hear this. God does not give us grace so we can choose to sin, choose to fail. God gives us grace so we can keep his impossible standards by the strength of Jesus. Jesus expects us to do everything mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount, but it's only possible in God's strength. If we're asking, how much can I get away with because I know God will forgive me, our heart's in the wrong place. We should not keep on sinning to get more grace. God does not give us grace so we can choose to fail. God gives us grace so we can keep his impossible standards by the strength of Jesus. We're human. We are going to fail. But God's grace does not make it okay to willfully sin. Will, willful sin 
the scriptures warn us of it over and over again. Now, because of Jesus, our heavenly Father, who is the divine artist and creator, because of Jesus, our God is always carrying us in his grace. I recently heard a story of a pottery making class where the teacher was experimenting with two styles of grading. The teacher told uh, the first half of the class they would be graded on just one piece of art. So she said, make sure you turn in your very best efforts. To the second half of the class, she said, hey, um, you'll be graded on the art that you continually practice to make. You have lots of opportunities. Just keep up with the craft. Which group do you think did better in the class? The stressed out group who had to get it right? Or the group that was told, hey, continually practice the craft. This group over here made the better pottery. The group that continually trusted the process and practiced it was the art, it was the group that made better art. Jesus knows we won't obey his best sermon ever perfectly all the time, but if we continually walk with him and practice and internalize the truth that he has given us, we will begin to look more and more like the artwork, the masterpiece he intended us to be. He's shaping and molding us. Again, we have to summarize and internalize truth in Christ, choose to live it, then become wise. Our God gives us grace so we continue in his strength even when we're too weak to do it. We don't get off the hook because this stuff is difficult, right? Rather, we get to cling to Jesus because it's impossible without him. And if your attitude is, well, I don't wanna, I won't do this perfectly. I'll just keep on sinning and judging and lusting and hating and it reveals that your heart's in the wrong place. Let's go to one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Romans chapter six, the first four verses. The early church teacher, Paul, missionary for the earliest church, he explains that just because God gives us grace, it doesn't mean we have a free pass to sin. Listen to what he has to say. This is scripture. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we were joined with him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. Pretty powerful image. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, what a powerful image. Now we also may live new lives. Brothers and sisters in Christ, those of you who say you follow Jesus, those old sins, those old ways, those old, like, they're not part of us anymore. We're free from those. We don't own those. We don't have to keep them. We are new creations. And we have a responsibility to build our life on the rock. As followers of Jesus, we have a responsibility not only to hear Jesus' teachings, but to summarize, internalize, and live them out. Jesus is worthy, as we sang just earlier, Jesus is worthy and has authority over everything, including our lives. Let's take a moment and look at the very last two verses of the Sermon on the Mount. Been here for three months, here are the last two verses. Verse 28. <clears throat> 
When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as teachers of the law. Do you know what the difference was between Jesus and the teachers of the law? The teachers of the law were finite men who made mistakes. They wanted to know God's truth. They were seeking it out. And here's the difference. Jesus didn't just know God's truth. He was God's truth. He was truth incarnate, as in he was God's truth with flesh on. Jesus didn't teach truth. He literally was the truth. He wasn't just a conduit or some prophet who was sharing truth from God. No, 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 no. He was the embodiment of truth, the beautiful creator behind the universe who made all things, took on flesh, and came and dwelt among us to show us truth. Jesus is the divine mystery of eternity who decided to walk with men in the flesh to live truth out in front of us so we could copy him and then rely on him when we we're too weak to do it ourselves. Jesus is not only a prophet with some good ideas, Jesus is the truth. What a powerful mystery, but it's true. Jesus is the truth. I remember in high school, a teacher told me, sure, we can, we can learn the Bible at school. We can learn about Western morality and philosophy and religion. And I'm like, no, 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 no. The Bible's so much more than that. It's God's word to mankind. It is the truth of God given to us. And Jesus, oh, another good mystery. And Jesus is the word of God in the flesh, like lived out. Mm. This is why it's beautiful. This is why it's beautiful. He came and changed the world and showed us what it means to know truth and to know God. Pfft, it's amazing. But knowing all this truth from the best sermon ever means literally nothing unless we live it out. So over these past few months, we've learned about the best sermon ever, Matthew chapters five, six, and seven. Dig into it. And it's this simple. Will we do it or will we not? I ask you today, who are you? Are you the wise builder or are you a dummy? No, I'm just kidding. Are you the wise or the foolish builder? Because the storms of life are coming, friends. Are you ready for them? It's not always a deathbed. It can be a lot of different things. Are you ready for them? How do we stay on the rock? How do we stand on the rock and be wise people? I wanna share with you this poem. It builds upon the main idea that we've been repeating in this sermon. Hear this. Summarize and internalize truth in Christ. Choose to live it, then become wise. When storms arise and troubles come, stand on Christ. He has already won. You pray for us. Jesus, we need you. To keep your standards, we need you. Lord, I pray that we would, be, we would fall in love with your scripture, 
that we'd fall more in love with you and that our lives would reflect that. God, um, we don't want the burden of struggling to obey your commandments on our own strength. I've tried to do that before, Lord. It was a hard way to live, being legalistic. But Jesus, I do want to obey your truth. I just can't do it on my own. Would you help us, God? Would you help us, God, to lean into your strength, the mystery of the power of the Holy Spirit working through us to complete obedience. And God, when we fall as we will, when the storms are too heavy as they will be at times, we will lean into you, Jesus, and not ourselves. We love you, Jesus, and we cling to you. Jesus, my God, my Savior, my friend, thank you for making truth clear to me. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name we pray.